Uh, we have two readings today. The first is uh, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. The second reading continues 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is God's word. Our great God and Father, a short passage, but we want to understand it rightly. Help us to do that so that we enjoy your creation, but we do not love the world. Help us see what that means. Be aware of the temptations within our own heart to do that. And love you above all else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, chapter uh, 2 of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. How utterly miserable. What a miserable statement that is. Can we just be honest about that? Don't love anything in the world and don't love anything about the world. That isn't the sort of thing that makes you go, yay, and gets you uh, uh, wildly excited, is it? Because at first glance, that's pretty miserable. What does that mean? We're not allowed to love landscapes, food, friendship. Are we not allowed to love these things? Maybe the Amish have got it right. Amish, always a bit uncertain about that. Uh, But I read fairly recently uh, of a community in Canton that is uh, right at the top of New York State. It can get to about minus 15 up there. Um, So you've got to be fairly hardy to live in that part of the world. Um, But they've deliberately set themselves up as a community so they're completely cut off from everyone else. Children are not allowed to have contact with any non-Amish children. The, The whole Lifestyle is built upon milk production. Uh, they produce it, you know what they mean. They have cows. Um, but they, don't, they never meet anyone, so they, they produce the milk. They don't produce it, you know what I mean. I'm, what, squeeze it, whatever the phrase is. They get the milk, get, they get the milk and take it to this sort of safe zone, and then the, 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 sort of the world comes along and collects it. So they have no contact with the world abs- at all. They completely cut themselves off because they think that's what they're meant to do. Don't love the world or anything in the world. It was a 
tricky case uh, earlier in the year when a number were taken to court because uh, they were building houses without smoke alarms. And in New York State, that's illegal. And so they were taken to court. Uh, It was slightly odd. They they just objected to having something so modern or worldly in their homes. Uh, And in court, I read this in the the paper, but um, uh, this guy was on trial and it was put to him, well, what are you going to do if there's a fire? I use this. He says, I trust him. I have no need of a modern devil on my wall. Which is probably a bit strong. Is that what John means? Don't love the world or anything in the world. Well, it can't be that simple, can it? Or odd, perhaps. You just look across the page, chapter 3, verse 11. Don't have to look very hard. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Oh, right. So when you say don't love anything in the world, we can love other people. Uh, Okay. So we need to do a little bit of work here because God doesn't contradict himself. Don't love the world. If you are just joining us, then uh, we're in the book of 1 John, although this is our last look this term. We spent about a couple of months in the first three chapters, and next term we'll pick it up uh, again from chapter 3 and verse 11. It's our last look tonight, then, uh, this term. John is writing to a church that's very unsettled. So if you hear a couple of weeks ago, you'd have seen. There was a a section of the church, probably this group, I reckon, uh, this third of the church. uh, they've They've all gone. They've all gone. And uh, left because they say, well, we're superior to you. We're more spiritual than you. We have greater experiences of God than you. And you don't, you're sort of inferior over here. And so those who are left behind, sorry, but you too lot, uh, those who are left behind are pretty unsettled by that. Well, you would be. People claiming to be superior, know God much better. And that's what's going on in one John. But in reality, John will say that those who have left, I'm sorry, that's just you now. Um, in, when we come back to one John, don't sit there because they're the schismatic lot. Um, John will say, what have they done? Well, chapter 4, verse 5 is the key thing for tonight. The group that have left, they are from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So those who have left, their great concern is they just want to fit in with the world. They say everything that the the, the world around them wants to hear. And so they're very acceptable to the watching world. Whereas those who who remain committed to the apostolic teaching, it just doesn't fit always with the culture. There's always some points where a biblical Christianity rubs up against the culture. So it's a bit awkward. So that's the group who have left. Now, the letter, as we've said before, is, is structured really around uh, uh, the great reassurance of chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Look, you who have left behind, you are the real deal. You do know the Father. You have a genuine relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. So you get, uh, and it's uh, this little things here, you get the great reassurance of the letter in chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, the two halves of the letter. Uh, the first half, look, God is light and the darkness is fading. And uh, chapter 2, 15, this is the start of this section, God is love. And the world is fading away. It's dominated this second section, 2.15, to the end of the letter. Watch out that you don't love the world. Join in with the world. What does he mean? 
look, rather than sort of progressively work through it, I'm just going to three questions that slightly cut across our text tonight. Okay, these three questions. What is the world? What does it mean to love the world? And thirdly, why not love the world? Okay, those three. What is the world? What does John mean by that? What is loving the world? What does that actually look like? And why not? Those three. Let's take them in turn. First then, what is the world? Well, John uses that word in two senses, and you've got to make sure you get them right and understand what he means. Uh, The first sense is just creation. And when he uses it in that sense, he means in an entirely neutral way. Planet Earth. Sometimes he means that by the world. So uh, chapter 4, verse 9, you can see it there. Chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. That He sent his son into this place, planet Earth, third planet along in the solar system. This one. Just a place, he means by it in that sense. Chapter 4, verse 17 will be the same. All of us are in this world. We're on planet Earth. So sometimes John just means by the world, this place, planet Earth, okay? But the second way he uses the world, and that's how he's using it here in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and actually most of the letter of 1 John, by the world he means hostile opposition to God. So it means that here. Loving the world is contrasted with loving God. Or here, the world, in chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, is contrasted with obeying God. Or you see it elsewhere in the letter, chapter 3 and verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Why does planet Earth hate me? What's, what's, what's this planet? He doesn't mean the world in that sense of a geographical place. By there, he means the world as in those who are hostile to God. Those whom Jesus was talking about in John 15. There'll always be some who, though they've got no good reason, just hate him, don't like him, opposed to him, don't want to follow God. There'll always be those. So don't be surprised if those who don't like Jesus don't like Christians. Don't be surprised at that. Or um, just one more, chapter 4, verse 5. We had it already. Those who have left, the schismatic lot over there, uh, they've left, they're from the world. That doesn't mean, you know, they're from planet Earth, as in the sense, or they're from, whatever, Birmingham or Australia or uh, the West Country or whatever it may be. He means they're from, they're from those who don't really want to follow God. They're hostile to God. So you just see there's two very different senses in which John uses the world. And you've got to know that and and know the difference between them. You know, for example, John 3.16, it seems to be, when John says there, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. He means God so loves those who are hostile to him. It's not just a generic God so loves planet Earth. But God loves those even who are his enemies. You've got to distinct, why is that so important? Well, let me say the obvious thing. In the first sense, just planet Earth, this planet is great. 
And we really can enjoy everything there is to love about this planet. Please don't hate this creation. That is not what John is telling you to do. And this creation is very wonderful. Straight away from Genesis 1, God creates, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And he creates mankind, it's very good. This world is a wonderful, wonderful thing. God clothes the flowers, he feeds the birds. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his sanction. God loves his creation and says, yeah, yeah, I've made this world. I've made mankind as stewards over this world. Enjoy. Go out and enjoy this world. Get elsewhere in the scriptures. Uh, Paul would argue in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected. It received by thanksgiving. So enjoy this world. You don't have to avoid smoke detectors, milk collectors. You don't have to enjoy everything in this world. Now, that is worth saying because most Christian cultures have their taboos. I remember as a, when I was a student, I, um, I became a Christian when I was a student. And certainly where I became a Christian, Christians would happily drink. But to smoke was viewed as a real, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, Christians don't smoke. Oh, okay, Christians don't smoke. Better stop doing that. And that's all right, I managed to do that. Um, and then I went to visit some friends in Norway. And uh, there, you do not drink. Christians do not drink, partly because a pint costs you about 25 quid in Norway. But, um, uh, but, just didn't, but everyone would come out of church and light up. That's what you did. What are you doing after church? Having a fag. That's what everyone did. And you had your sort of fellowship over a fag. That's just what you did. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, that's right. Different Christian subcultures get hung up on their things. I don't want to use those two as a great example because there are, there are some dangers with both. Of course there are. Of course there are. But love, embrace most things that are good in this world. When I was growing up, this dates me a little bit, but when I was growing up, first time round, you had the film Flashdance with Kevin Bacon. It was terrific at the time. And then they remade it for some reason in 2011 without Kevin Bacon, who's probably a bit old. But if you've bothered to see such a film, it was great first time round. I've not seen it second time round. But there's a whole plot of the thing. It seems a little dated, but it is a town in sort of Midwest America, so undefined. And the vicar, Pastor Moore, just rages against dancing. Dancing is the worst thing in the world. Dancing is the doorway to gross immorality. And so dancing is forbidden in the town until Kevin Bacon turns up and he just can't, you know, he's just, you know, a bit better than that. But, um, you know, and that's it. He sort of, he let's hear it for the boy and you've got to flash dance, etc., etc. No, that's a different film. Um, Footloose, you've got to, anyway, off you go. But um, it's slightly bizarre. Why would you be so down? No, love the world. Embrace the world. Enjoy what there is in this world. Enjoy God's good creation. In his common grace, God has given gifts to composers, novelists, filmmakers, artists. Wonderful gifts. Enjoy them. God has given all sorts of food and drink, a whole variety. Enjoy them within moderation. Beautiful landscapes, beautiful places to visit. Enjoy them within moderation. Love the creation God has made because it's very wonderful. Enjoy it. But that's not what he's talking about here, just so we're clear. Here he's talking about the world in opposition to God, worldliness. 
So when he says don't love the world, I guess you could reduce it to materialism. The idea that this material world is all that there is. There is no God. We just operate within a closed system. That will be the world as John uses the term here. There is no God. Or the idea that this world is all that matters. So if you like it in sort of equation sort of terms, what John is saying here is creation, planet Earth, minus God equals the world in this sense. Okay? Planet Earth, good thing, minus God, no reference to him at all, equals worldliness, the world here. We got that? We see the difference? Maybe one person or not, it would just encourage me. Just the one, that's all right. So here he's saying, chapter 2, verse 15, you have a choice. You either love God the Father and align yourself with him, or you love the world. You ignore him. You just live for this physical creation. And this consumes you. And you live your life without reference to the Lord. And the awkward thing, as John often is, is he says in binary terms, you love the Father or you love the world, but you cannot love both. One always has your primary loyalty. You do see that, don't you? You can't love both. So what is the world? The world is hostility to God. It is this creation without giving thanks to God or referring to him, equals world. Worldliness might be the uh, very easy way of describing it. Okay, That's the world. Don't be like that. Now, what is, secondly, uh, what is loving the world? Second question. Well, verse 16 defines that for us uh, in three ways. Uh, let me read it again. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in them. You can't have both. Verse 16. Here's the definition of what loving the world is. Three things. For everything in the world, one, the lust of the flesh, two, the lust of the eyes, three, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Three things. Two of them, stuff we lack. Lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes. And the third is stuff we've got and that we're proud about. But this is what it looks like to love the world. Let's just work through them, make a few comments on them. First, the, the lusts of the flesh, that's loving the world. Okay, and what does he, he means by that? Just being ruled by self rather than by God. Uh, let me try to explain. It's entirely normal, of course, to uh, desire food, desire companionship, desire friendships, to desire security, to desire sex even. These are normal desires. But allowing these things to control us Allowing those things to be more important than the Father's love for us. That is worldliness. That is loving the world. So let me give you a pathetic uh, uh, illustration and move on from that. Uh, I've yet to completely conquer my own personal lust of chocolate. That is pathetic. It's pretty feeble. But quite often in our house it goes like this. Hmm. I want chocolate. 
right? This is my inner monologue, by the way. Hmm, I want chocolate. Yes, but you have just had dinner. Hmm. But I'm tired. I'm a bit fed up, and chocolate makes me feel better. Yes, indeed. Go and get some. Are <laughs> oh, the fridges empty? Good. Good. Because I didn't need that chocolate anyway. It wasn't good for me. It was, I, good. So it's glad there's none here. Stuff it. Let's go to the corner shop and buy a big slab of dairy milk. And um, that's the sort of inner monologue that happens recurrently uh, in my head. I sort of crave it. It's a, it's a lust. Now, the truth is, of course, it's a pretty innocent one. Uh, and so I don't really have a problem with giving into it uh, every so often. But here he's talking about things which are obviously a bit more serious. Cravings of the flesh. Lusts of the flesh. My appetites at the expense of God. That's the issue here. My appetites at the expense of God. So the man who says, hmm, this job, it isn't ethical. As a Christian, I shouldn't do it. But the money is more important than obedience, so I will. That's the lust he's talking about here. The lust of the flesh. The woman who says, hmm, I know God says keep sex for marriage but I want it. I want it with this man. So I'm going to do it. My lust is overcoming my obedience to the Lord. Or, or the man who says, oh, look, it is killing me and it is destroying my family life to try and control everything in, in, in my world. Control is my issue and control is my lust, my craving, my desire. And that is more important to me than following the Lord because I've got to be in control. So I'll drop going to church. I'll be a bad father, husband. Because that's more important to me. When cravings of the flesh, lusts of the flesh, when my appetites are more important or come at the expense of God, that's what he's talking about. That's lust of the flesh. Or secondly, lust of the eyes. So here, of course, is as opposed to things which you daydream about, lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, obviously, things that you set your eyes upon. We see things and we want them. Uh, And we all know that actually the journey from the eye to the heart and desire is a pretty short one. And most of us will get attacked uh, several times a week, most of the day, or most days of the week. So certainly in our house, uh, magazines seem to drop through the letterbox every day. Buy clothes, buy sofa, buy clothes, buy stuff, buy white stuff, buy white company, buy white whatever it is. Um, just buy stuff. I don't know how we get on these mailing lists. I'm sure it's not my fault. But um, uh, you gotta, uh, just buy, 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 buy. These, these things dump on your letterbox. And of course, somehow they dump in your in, in tray as well, in your email box. 10% off this, buy. Yeah, 15% off this, buy. Uh, we want to reward your loyalty. What loyalty? Buy. And um, these things, and it comes all the time. You get attacked, and, and we l- you learn it from quite a young age. So, in our household, I think a kind relative, when my son was, I don't know, six, seven years old, something like that, kindly signed him up to the Lego Club. Now, that's a fairly innocent thing. But uh, so, once a month, a magazine comes through the post. Oh, that's nice. Lego Club. It's a disaster. Because age six or seven, there he was with Lego porn. 
want that, 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 want that. And these days, you probably wouldn't know, but you go online and there's a thousand videos showing people building these things. Look what it can do. And look how wonderful it is. And it just creates this craving, this lust, this desire. And of course, as with all these things, all right, you can have that one and get that one for your birthday. Get it, make it, play with it, let it get dusty. Because it's so often the case, isn't it? Oh, I must have it, 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 got it. Brilliant. And then it goes in the wardrobe. Must have that dress. Must have that dress. Buy dress, wear dress, forget I've got it. Five years later, oh, look, that dress. Doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> Hate that dress. And that's the, you know, the cry of a seven-year-old, I want it, I need it. We can quite easily get that in our own heads. 27, 37, 57-year-old. Happens the same. But it's quite telling, is that how often we must have these things, we get them and then, nah. That's the lust of the eyes for us. Very struck, um, uh, read recently, just in my own devotions, uh, going through 2 Samuel, the account of uh, uh, Amnon and Tamar in um, 2 Samuel 13. You know, both are children of David, uh, by different mums, and Amnon, the bloke, he, he fancies his sister Tamar and becomes obsessive about it uh, and wants her, uh, and she knows that. And, but then he pretends to be sick, so she comes and visits him, and he jumps her, and he rapes her because he's desperate to have her. And then immediately afterwards, we're told in the text, he hated her with intense hatred. That's a strong example, but we all know that with the things that we lust after with our eyes. It can't just be food. It's a much milder thing, isn't it? Must have it, must have it, must have it. Ooh, feel ill afterwards. We know that. Must have, must have, must have. Oh, I regret that. Really regret that. Again, it's our desires at the expense of God. The lusts of the eyes. So it can be anything. You can lust after sofas and clothes and dresses. and Although most of the magazines I get are for clerical robes. I don't find that a temptation, personally. <laughs> so he's not just, when he's talking about the lust of the eyes, please don't, but he's not just thinking sexually. Although, of course, the sexual drive is a powerful one. More powerful than most. Because it's so intrinsic to who we are as human beings. So look, you know this, but let me just remind you, give you the strong example. Pornography. It's very hard to know how honest the statistics are. But uh, the most recent thing I read, last year, 80% of 8 to 16-year-olds had viewed porn online. It's worrying, isn't it? 80% of 8 to 16-year-olds. 37% of 16 to 25-year-olds had sent an explicit sext. That's the culture uh, that we're in. No, of course, it's a strong example of lusting after something or, or, or feasting our eyes on, on stuff that is no good for us. But let me just give it to you as an example. Because you know this, but pornography is addictive. Viewing porn, it rewires the brain. You get excited by certain images. Orgasm is, is one of the most powerful Pavlovian reinforcers there is. What you orgasm over, that's what you want. That's what gets you excited going forward. If you find that in marriage with a spouse, great. If you find that outside of marriage, 
with celluloid images, disaster. Now, the reason I say it is just because people just don't believe me. So I just keep saying it until someone perhaps does. Though I do speak to lots of couples where one or other has heavily engaged with pornography and it has ruined sex within marriage. They can't do it. And I just don't think people believe that that's true. And it's not the sort of thing people actually want to stand up at the front and testimony about. But it's true. The lust of the eyes are dangerous. It's addictive and it's destructive. In the UK last year, 56% of those who divorced cited internet porn as a factor. Not the only one. But over half said one of the significant reasons in their divorce was internet porn. It's the lust of the eyes. Now I know that the sexual desire is stronger than most. But don't think that the lust of the eyes don't matter. I don't think you can get quite so addicted to Lego. But John would say, if the lust of your eyes and fulfilling them come ahead of your love for the Father, you're in a bad place. You're being shaped by the world. Be very careful. Lust of the eyes, they change us. So what do we have? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Those are the two that we haven't got and we do want. The third is what we have got uh, and what we're proud of. Uh, Then the pride of life. I guess literally the pride of who we are. Taking pride in who we are. It's very worldly, of course, to boast of stuff we have or status we have or stuff we've done. And that's a sort of generational thing. If you're kind of in your 50s, you boast of the stuff you have in your 40s of the status you've got in your 20s of what you've done. It kind of works like that because those in their 20s have got no money to buy anything so that you just boast about what you do. That's kind of how it works uh, these days. But boasting is one of those funny things because all of us do it in, to a greater or lesser extent. But when we do it, we think it's okay. We don't like it in others. Boasting's a bit like bad breath. You don't notice it, but others go, ooh, that ain't nice. It's a bit like that. We see it in others and think, how stupid. But don't notice it in ourselves. It's slightly dangerous. Did you read last month or see in the papers, uh, Levi Watson? Come across him. Levi Watson is a drug dealer from Wolverhampton who boasted online of what he got up to and how wealthy drugs had made him. And the police arrested him. And he said, no, 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 I'm unemployed and, and don't do anything you've put all this stuff online. Have we got Levi? Have we got him here? Um, oh, look, there he is. <laughs> what would you do if you had lots of money? Obviously, you'd photograph yourself in a bath surrounded with 20-pound notes and a Rolex on and all sorts of bling. Um, and he's worth a million pounds. I mean, you might have thought he could have bought a bigger bath, to be honest with you, because it's quite a... <laughs> Quite a small bath. I, you know, if I was that wealthy, I might redo my bathroom and have a nice power shower. But there he is. Uh, a, a pink wine, not so masculine, probably, but, you know, that's okay if you like pink wine. Um, but how, and exceptionally, he, even when he was in the police station, he still kept tweeting posters of him and his car, him sat in his Lamborghini. Now, it is quite easy to laugh a man like that because he is a bit daft in doing that when you're sat in a police station pretending that you're unemployed and poor. Uh, That is a ridiculous sort of boasting. 
The, um, and yet, of course, who hasn't put something out online without really engaging in a slightly boasty way? I mean, most days, I get told to congratulate someone on LinkedIn for their new job, which seems to be their old job with another couple of letters put in front of it. Or, uh, oh, congratulate Eric, who has been endorsed for juggling, <laughs> bottle flipping, stamp collecting, whatever, you know, people get endorsed for the most extraordinary things. So every day I'm asked to, oh, congratulate what? You know, no, thanks. Um, and on Facebook, of course, we just churn out stuff. Look at me, 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 look at me. Now, again, let's be careful. These can be very good vehicles of communication. They can be good things. But I guess if we churn out lots of stuff without reference to God, then it's probably the pride of life. There is a difference between, oh, look, here's me with all my mates and my birthday party, and I want to give thanks to everyone who came and thank you to my friends. That's a nice thing. It's different to look at me. Here I am on holiday. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to see God's creation. You don't have to be, I'm not telling you all to be naff about it, but you, there is a difference between projecting look at me sort of pictures, and I'm very thankful for what I've been given. There's a difference, I think. If you can't tell the difference, if you're uncertain, ask someone who's a good and honest friend, do I have bad breath? I, you know, with the stuff I churn out, uh, is it just all self-promotional? Am I just boasting about the pride of life? I guess you need someone to be honest with that, with you. These three. These three things then, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the pride of life, that's loving the world. Putting the world and its values, the, the lusts, the things you desire, ahead of obedience to God, loving him. That's loving the world. So what is the world? It's this creation without any reference to God, hostility to him. Uh, what's loving the world? It's those three. Uh, lastly, briefly, why not? What's wrong with that? Why not love the world? Two reasons are given, verse 15, verse 17. Here's the first, verse 15. Uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So here's the first reason. You can't love the world and love the Father. You can't. One always has priority. No surprise, Jesus told us that. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. You cannot love this world and love the Father. You can't. One always has priority, loyalty in your affections, and the other comes in second place. You can't. So in this context of, of 1 John, if you choose to love the world, you will eventually walk away from the Father. That's what had happened to the gang in chapter 2, uh, verse 18 downwards. We reference them, chapter 4, verse 5. That they loved the world. They wanted the approval of the world so much that in the end they just left the church for an easier life. You might get that in a denomination. The Church of England is in terrible state, desperate to fit in with the world. But for you and me, I guess the challenge is a personal one. 
If you moved to London recently, can I ask you, who will you love? Will it be the Father? Or will it be this world? Fitting in. Grasping after all the bright lights that this city has to offer. And there are many. If you come here to study for the first time, who will you love? Yeah, many have just moved to London. Have you made up your mind yet? Who's first in your affections? Is it going to be loving God the Father? Or is it going to be, I care so much about this world, fitting in with this world, getting all the pleasures I can in this world. And if I can be a Christian, great too. Great. You can't. You can't have both. You love one or the other. Have you decided? If you don't decide, you'll drift. You don't always drift the right way. For all of us, look, if you feel you've been a Christian for years, if you feel your love for the Lord is a little bit weak, you're a Christian, but you don't love hearing from him, you're a bit stale. The question, I guess, is, for you and me, is it because we love the world? Because it's a pretty natural seesaw, I would have thought, as affection for this world goes up and fulfilling my desires primarily goes up then affection for the father goes down by contrast if affection for the father goes up I'm not so worried about fulfilling my desires I care more about his first I guess there's a natural seesaw there desire in this world minus God that's worldliness desire minus godly motives guess it's going to be worldliness. You cannot love the world and the Father. That's the first reason why you can't, don't love the world. You can't do both. And the second, verse 17, uh, let me give it briefly, then we're done. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's why you don't want to love the world, because the world and its desires pass away. The world and its lusts pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I read a couple of years ago, you ever read it? A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. It was a bestseller and um, I quite like these sort of things. Everyone loves lists, don't they? Dave Freeman wrote it, bestseller, A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. And there's quite a good list. I'd love to do all these things. Fire walking in Haiti, challenging a Turk to an oil wrestling match. I don't know why that appeals to me, it just does. I don't know why it has to be a Turk, but that's a kind of a thing in Turkey. Um, uh, the Bull Run of Pamplona, yeah, I want to do that. Uh, the World Cowpat Throwing Championships in Oklahoma. I actually don't want to do that. Um, Vienna Opera Ball, a bit more highbrow. Bastille Day in Paris. All sorts of 100 things to do before you die. Of course, it's great that people love those sort of things. Yeah, I'm going to fill my life with... Yeah, I'm going to fill my life. I'm going to do all these crazy things. Why not? Yeah, the tragic thing. Dave Freeman died 47 years old. And he hadn't done half on his own list. There's nothing wrong in one sense with those desires in moderation, but you're going to pass, you're going to go. And what's left for you? The world and its desires will go. If you crave happiness in this world without reference to God, in the next it's just misery. If you crave love in this world without reference to God, well, in the next it's lovelessness. If you crave significance in this world without reference to God, in the next it's futility. 
If you crave control in this world with no reference for God, in the next it's just chaos. By contrast, if you crave him, if you put the Father first, if you seek to desire to do his will, you receive him forever and love, happiness, significance, joy. They all come attached to him. Do sometimes do the sum. What in the long term will this world provide me with? Uh, and what will God the Father? In the short term, it's quite confusing. In the long term, this world and its desires are passing away. And you don't want to put that first. I've been listening uh, recently, I quite like, there's a, Numerous versions of it. But here's one thing that helps me uh, put those two things in a column. The, what the world gives and uh, what the Father gives or what God gives. You know, William Featherstone. William Featherstone is famous for writing one hymn and one hymn only. My Jesus, I love thee. The reason is he wrote it uh, when he was 16 years old. Uh, and he was a sort of, you know, he had nowhere to go after that. He'd written his greatest song, age 16, although he did die age 27, so he died a young man. But that's it. He just wrote one song. It's a wonderful song, my Jesus, I love thee. Get a couple of verses, and if we've got them on the screen. It helps you do the math, or the maths, in the long term. Jesus, I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing thorns on thy brow if ever I loved thee my Jesus tis now now no desire in this world will do that for you and pay for your sin nothing in this world will pay for your sin like Jesus will in mansions of glory and endless delight I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow if ever I loved thee my Jesus tis now when you're in heaven you don't regret the decisions you make here and now to love the father and his son more than this world enjoy his creation it's a wonderful thing there are many pleasures but enjoy them in obedience to him enjoy them with him first don't love the world let's pray together Father, our prayer is you help us to get this right. John puts it in such binary terms. We we do want to enjoy this creation. So many good gifts in this world that you've given to us, humanity, to enjoy for our pleasure, for our good. So many things. You're a very generous God. But we want you first. We want you first, Father, because we know that in Seeking you first, that is our greatest joy. That is what brings you honor and praise. We know that nothing else in this world provides what we need. Atonement for sin. Punishment taken in our place. And in eternity, we will never regret putting you first. So Father, would we do that here and now? Would we love you, love obedience to you, 
more than the cravings, the lusts of this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.